Thank you very much for the music. And we do have a few more Bible questions, if that's okay with you. Um, the reason we stopped earlier is because you needed a break and his battery went dead. <laughs> I told him my battery was fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. First question. Microphone. Hello. Hello? Okay. Good. First question. If God is loving, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Three letters. J-O-B. Not Job, Job. <laughs> the whole book of Job addresses the question, if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? And Job, Job... <laughs> <laughs> Job was a perfect and upright man and yet all that stuff befell him and uh, it tells really that there's a battle going on behind the scenes this world is a battlefield and in war sometimes there are innocent collateral casualties and all of these people that there are good people who are suffering because of the sin and the disease and the sickness in the world it's because there is this war going on and there's a devil and I know that might sound like a uh, a cheap answer but uh, really that's what the story of Job tells us about is that the devil is accusing people and this testing that happens sometimes God allowed Job to be tested as a demonstration of his faithfulness and that we can be faithful even amidst trial okay how can I witness to people who don't know Christ without them influencing me well that is a very important question how do you try to reach the lost without being reached by the lost? Um, missionary families go to remote pagan parts of the world where they're surrounded with all kinds of heathenism and of course they and then their children are exposed to those things. I think that if you're going into a situation like that, whether it's witnessing to you know, some friends in a workplace or a university where it's not a Christian university, uh, you really need to pray that God will compensate by giving you his spirit and then go in humbly. All right? He that thinks he stands needs to take heed lest he fall. Um, if you've got friends that have a drinking problem, make up your mind not to witness to them at the bar. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to be drawn in. And if you're a new Christian, a lot of new Christians say, oh, you know, I'm going to go back to my church and try and reach all my old friends. Make sure that your roots are down deep enough to withstand the, the winds that are going to come. And so get grounded in what you believe before you go and try and reach people who are out there so you won't be influenced. If Jesus knew ahead of time that Judas was going to betray him, why did he still accept him as a disciple? That also is a marvelous question. Um, evidently, Judas was one of the 12 that, uh, you know, it says, Christ said, have I not chosen 12 of you and one of you is a devil? Uh, you read in the book Desire of Ages, and that was partially a choosing and partially a volunteering. There was a certain scribe that came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. That was Judas. And Jesus, knowing that he was looking for earthly gain, said, Foxes have their holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was letting him know, if you're following me for earthly gain... Don't do it. And all the other apostles said, oh, Lord, he'd be a great part of your inner circle. He's so bright. He's so sharp. He's so good-looking. He's well-dressed. He's a scribe. And, and Jesus, I think, really allowed Judas to be part of that inner circle at the recommendation of the others because they thought he had so much to offer 
But he kind of, I think, wormed his way in a little bit, and then Jesus allowed it. When owning a business or working for a company, is it okay to fudge the rules if they don't hurt anyone? Well, fudge is not a biblical word. <laughs> it's not even a healthy word. <laughs> but I think what you mean by fudging the rules is um, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. I think that you can go to hell for stealing somebody's pencil just like you can go to hell for stealing a million dollars. I think stealing is stealing. And I, I believe that Christians should be above board and honest and have uh, good ethics. And that should be especially in the workplace. And yeah, you, you might be persecuted when you stand up for what's right. But Peter said it's more better if we're persecuted for doing what's right than doing what's wrong. So... Um, yeah, I, I think we should be consistent Christian witnesses. Okay. You can say amen. That's okay. It's even biblical. <laughs> Sorry, just checking. Afternoon, I know. All that tofu processed soybeans, it's hard to get an amen out, right? <laughs> Will good people who have not received the word of God be just as able to go to heaven as someone who has known God and followed God all their lives? Wow, you know, I can get in trouble answering this question, uh, but I want to give you an honest answer. Will there be people in heaven who maybe did not know the truth about Jesus and accepting Jesus as their personal Savior? Yes. The Bible tells us many will come from the east and the west and sit down in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and some of the children of the kingdom will be in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the Bible is clear in the book of Acts that... There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Nobody, nobody goes to heaven except through Jesus. Now, how do you reconcile these two things? Anyone who is there is there because of the sacrifice and the grace of God. There will be some people there who walked in all the light they had available but maybe they never heard the entire story about Jesus. Maybe they had some elements of truth that came through divine revelation and dreams and visions or angels. And they walked in that light, but they didn't have the Bible and they didn't know the whole gospel story. But they were God's children. You find examples of them in Naaman, in the woman that Elijah stayed with during the famine. Matter of fact, Jesus nearly got thrown off the cliff. When he stood up in Nazareth, and he said, there were many widows in the land in the days of the drought during the time of Elijah, but Elijah didn't stay with an Israeli woman. He stayed with a woman of Zidon, a pagan. And there were many lepers in the land of Israel, but none of those Israeli lepers or church members were healed except Naaman the Syrian. And the people in Jesus' church were so outraged, they just about, they tried to kill him. Because basically he was saying, there will be others saved who maybe didn't know everything. And even Naaman, after he was cleansed from his leprosy, he said to Elisha, I'm not going to worship any god but Jehovah, and I'm even going to take dirt from Israel back, so when I kneel and pray, I'm kneeling on the soil of Israel. But, he said, please, ha please have mercy on your servant. In this one case, the king is an old man. He leans on me when I take him to the house of his God, I don't remember what the God, Dagon, whatever his God was. And Naaman understood the Jews did not believe in idolatry. And Elisha told him, go in peace. Naaman was saying, I'm not going to worship that God anymore. I'm only worshiping Jehovah, but I need to 
push the wheelchair for the king when he goes to church. And see, God understands. He's a loving God. And so I think there are going to be a lot of people out there. Now, some of my Baptist friends would tell me I'm a heretic by saying all of those people who lived in the Inca Empire that never heard about Jesus or the Aborigines in Australia for millennia that never heard the gospel story, are we saying that they are all automatically lost? God couldn't reach them any other way? No, I think there will be some who will get to heaven and say, Lord, what happened to your hands? They haven't heard the whole story. Amen? Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. He judges us according to the light that we receive. If you had no light, did not have light or you did not see, you would not have any sin. But once you see, your sin remains. I think that's John chapter 9. So it's a principle, but very few. They're the, they're the exception. We want to preach the gospel to the lost because most people don't know. How do we go about learning, learning new light? When learning new light, um, how do we discern what is good and what is bad when it all seems to be truth? Well, you know, I'm not really ever looking for new light. I just find I've got my hands full trying to live up to the old light. <laughs> there is new light that God's going to reveal, and we should evaluate everything based on the Word of God, dependable Christian counsel, and uh, the evidence in history. But, um, and I do believe God has new light that he's revealing to his people. So ultimately it has to all measure up to the word. Um, there's actually a process in the spirit of prophecy that you can find how we should evaluate new light. That's all laid out for us. And we try to follow that in our church with the Bible Research Institute and uh, getting good counsel and evaluating things. We set up different committees and studies to look at the different components. How do I not be afraid of the second coming? Um, how, are, how is it that we won't be frightened by the second coming? Well, you know, I think that it's going to be an awesome event. Uh, even for the saved, I think there's an element of terror. And, and that's okay. You can be excited about marrying someone and scared at the same time. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't mean you don't love them if you're not scared at the wedding day. And the approach of the Lord is an awesome thing. But I think for those who look forward to it, it's like Paul, it's the blessed hope. And we look forward to it with joy. They'll say, I believe it's Isaiah who says, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Um, but first of all, if you've got peace that you are living according to the light that God has given you, you shouldn't be afraid. Jesus said... I've never counted myself. I think Dwight Moody was the one who first said this, but he said there are over 365 fear nots in the Bible or some, something like do not be afraid, something like fear not. And that's one fear not for every day of the year. Over and over, Jesus said, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? He does not want us to live in that kind of fear. Christians should be known by people who are peaceful. Uh, others should be attracted to us because of the serenity and the peace. Great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing will offend them. And so if you're walking in the with the Lord and you know Jesus has got control of your life, and as our theme says, if we know that we're with God, that he's right by our side all the time, that should encourage us. Amen? Make one or two more. This is the last one I have. Okay. And it's not dead. Okay, good. Okay. The second coming to me is very vague. Is there a way to study 
to clarify my worries. Thank you very much, Eric. You know, I'm going to let that be the last question because that segues perfectly into what I want to study in our, our final moments together. Sure, appreciate that. Can you give him a hand and thank him for doing such a good job? Appreciate that. How can we know how close is the Lord's coming? You know, in our theme, not very far, uh, one of the things I wanted to impress on you in closing is for Seventh-day Adventists, we should know if anything is not very far, it's the coming of the Lord. The New Testament says, even so come Lord Jesus. Last words. It said, behold, I come quickly. And if Adventists stop believing in the imminent return of Jesus, then woe unto us. I mean, we're going to have to change our name. Call it seven-day maybes or something. Uh, we need to have some certainty in our lives about his promise to return. And we all know that he's going to come someday. And, um, you know, people have been saying for years, oh, the Lord's coming, and some people set dates. How many of you heard about when Harold Camping was setting that date for May 21? And our team, part of our team's here with us. They went down, they interviewed him face-to-face and were asking him questions. We did a video and a commercial because we knew a lot of people were going to be devastated. I did an interview with Fox News in Sacramento. Um, and they thought it was so odd that a pastor, a Christian pastor, would say, no, I do not think the Lord is going to come May 21. I can say with some certainty he's not coming May 21. And they thought, doesn't that sound strange for an Adventist to be so certain that the Lord is not coming? I just was quite sure that God had not revealed all that to Harold Campion and he was going to be the final trumpet. I don't know if you've ever listened to family radio, but he had predicted the second coming several times. And also there's still some things that have to happen globally that haven't happened yet. But we do see the signs accelerating. And I did tell the newscasters, I do believe the Lord is coming soon. I think that we are living in the generation that will witness this. I just didn't think it was going to be May 21. And now they're saying, you know, this Mayan calendar, Nostradamus is going to be December 21, 2012. And uh, people are just stabbing in the dark. How do we know when the literal day of the Lord's coming is near? Now, as a church and as a people, we'd like to know if we could fix the date, but the risk is that like when the tax day comes around, you'd wait to the last minute before you filed. Everyone waits until the day before their taxes. This year, it's the 16th of April because the 15th is a Sunday. So, is it the 17th? I don't know when it is my wife does our taxes. <laughs> but I just know that if we had a date we would probably wait until a few weeks or months before and then we'd start getting excited. The Lord could come for anybody here within 24 hours. It could be your last day and that would mean your next conscious thought is when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, assuming you're in the first resurrection, right? So we need to live as though he's coming any time. But there is going to be a day and the Lord gives us the signs. And I see in the world around us, not only with things happening with the politics and the economy and the natural disasters, but I, I think one of the greatest signs is in the church. That's not only the technology just going 
exponentially exploding the way it is and international travel. And it's like the Lord said, if he didn't short that time, no flesh would survive. Man would self-destruct. And we're heading down that road now if the Lord doesn't come soon. I mean, you just see what's happening to the environment. And I'm not, I'm not an environmental kook. But I just know that in the short time I've been a pilot for about 25 or 30 years, the perspective from the air, it's really changing on the ground. This world is getting gobbled up pretty fast. And if the Lord doesn't come, we will ultimately destroy the world. We'll destroy ourselves. We got the weapons now. I mean, it's in the news every day. People are worried about Iran getting a nuclear weapon and North Korea getting a nuclear weapon. And what's going to happen if somebody, you know, has a bad day and does something reckless? But, you know, I don't worry about that when I go to sleep at night. I think the Lord's coming soon. Uh, I don't know exactly when, but I think it's sooner than most of us think, sooner than some want. And turn in your Bibles with me where Jesus talks about the second coming. Go to Matthew chapter 24 for just a moment. Verse 45. I'm just going to try and do this quickly. Who then is a faithful and a wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them their food in due, in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master when he comes will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, not out loud, my master is delaying. What's that word? Delaying. He hasn't shown up yet. Seems like he's running behind. The Lord is late. If he says in his heart, maybe I've got more time than I thought, that can be a very dangerous concept. There is a sanctifying influence in believing that life is temporary as an individual. It's healthy. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, you're better going to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for the living will lay it to heart, for that is the end of all men. We're just here for a little while. I don't know how to tell you this, friends. But I got a doctor's report in the Bible, and it says I'm terminal. I told you my brother was terminal, and he told me one time, he said, Doug, I know I'm terminal, but I feel better knowing you're terminal too. <laughs> he said, you've probably just got more time than me. And that's really what we're all talking about. These bodies are, especially in a college where you're young and you feel invigorated and you're at your peak of performance, it's easy to forget that it ain't going to last. And we need to remember that. But beyond that, as a people, there is a day when God is going to set up his literal kingdom in this world, that he's going to bring an end to the devil's reign in this world, that Jesus is going to come triumphantly. If that evil servant says in his heart, my master's delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day that he's not looking for him. Jesus said, in such an hour as you think not, the son of man comes... An hour he's not aware of. Mark chapter 13, five times, Jesus says, watch, 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 watch. That's four times, actually. I think it's four times it says that. He wants us to be watching. The way we watch is in a sense of expectation. The Lord is telling us to look forward to it, be expecting it. This is a terrible rebellion that's happening down here. Don't think this is the status quo. Jesus is going to come back. 
And you know what I think is one of the greatest signs? You are. I am. The attitude among God's people of sleeping just before the big event is prophesied. You notice what it says? If that evil servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, he begins to beat his fellow servants. You can do that verbally, you know. And eat and drink with the drunken. The master of that servant will come on a day that he's not looking for. And he'll cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no chapters in the original. What does Jesus say right after the end of chapter 24? Then the kingdom of heaven will be likened unto ten virgins that took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took lamps but no oil, no reserve, but the wise took oil in their vessels of their lamps. Notice verse 5. But while the bridegroom was, you got a Bible? Delayed. Say it with me. Delayed. See, I think that part of the end time prophetic scenario is there would be an apparent delay. I remember when we did Net New York in New York City. That was a really exciting thing to be part of. I will never forget that. I told Karen, even while it was happening, I said, take it all in. Take it in high definition because I said, we are living through a piece of history now that we'll never be able to equal again. First of all, you have to live another millennium to get to, you know, another millennial transfer. But to be in New York City, when the New York Yankees are playing the New York Mets, in 1999 and Hillary Clinton's running for Senate and they're having the New York Marathon and here we are preaching the end of the world and take all the amazing facts evangelists to the top of the world trade center three times pray for the city little did we know wow that was pretty exciting and everybody thought the world's going to end the year 2000 Y2K take all your money out of the bank buy garbanzo beans head for the hills (laughs) I know people that did that they cut up their credit cards and tried to get off the grid and hide from everybody Because they thought that would be the end of it. Y2K was the mother of all false alarms. And you know, I told people, it's on tape, if you don't believe me, during that 99, I said, I don't think the Lord's coming in the year 2000. Because you're expecting it. And the Bible says, there's going to be an apparent delay. And here we are now, we've reached the 6,000 year mark from creation approximately. It's at least 2,000 years beyond Jesus' birth. We know that. Now there's another group that are pegging the second coming at 2,000 years beyond Jesus' death. And everybody's looking for a date that they can hammer in the wall somewhere. But right now, church is kind of treading water in their sleep. This is the most golden opportunity for evangelism that we've ever had. Uh, Doors are opening up like crazy, but people are beginning to wonder, well, maybe my Lord delays his coming. That is one of the most dangerous things we could do, and it is foretold. You remember when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, and they got the Ten Commandments. The Lord spoke the Ten Commandments, and Moses said, I'm going to get the written transcript there in Exodus chapter 32. And he said, I'm going up, and I'll come back. But he didn't tell them exactly when he was coming back. And after 40 days went by, they thought that, you know, those Ten Commandments, it doesn't take that long to write them out. What's taking so long? Something must have happened to them. And you read in the Bible, it says, when Moses delayed, when Moses delayed, what happened? The church became restless. And you know what else happened? They began to compromise their worship. 
Are you listening? Did you hear me? They became restless and they began to make compromises and then they made a golden calf. And they began to wonder. And, you know, just when they were in the, they, they had their, their sacrifice and they worshiped and then they partied. And Moses is coming down the mountain. And Joshua evidently was halfway up there waiting for him. And he said, oh, Moses, so good to see you. We need to hurry down to the camp. There's a war in the camp. I can hear it. And you remember what Moses said? He said, that's not the sound that you hear of those who cry for being overcome. Neither is it the sound of those who rejoice for victory. But it's the sound of those who sing that I hear. Now, if the church is hot or cold, that's okay. It's the lukewarm. If we're shouting for victory, praise the Lord. If we're crying because we've been overwhelmed in repentance like Peter, that's okay. But it's the... It's the in-between indifference, just becoming preoccupied with the world's kind of worship. When they saw that Moses delayed, they made a golden calf, and then he came. Could that happen to God's people again? It's not the only time it's happened. Oh, by the way, there were some faithful that would not participate. The Levites said, we're not getting involved in this wicked orgy that's going on right now. And they ended up becoming the priests of Israel. And then you've got the story where King Saul, Samuel the prophet said, I'm going to give you great victory over the Philistines and I'm going to seal your kingdom. And he told him, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel 10 verse 8. He said, you will go before me to Gilgal and I will come to you and offer burnt offering. When the children of Israel first crossed over there by the Jordan, they offered sacrifice at Gilgal. He said, we're going to renew the kingdom there. He says, I will come after seven days. How long? After seven days. According to the time set by Samuel. He said, wait for me. This is in 1 Kings 10, 8. Seven days you shall wait till I come. Wait till I come. Don't get discouraged. Well, then you jump down to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and King Saul has got his ragtag soldiers and he's waiting and he's waiting and finally after six days comes and the end of the sixth day, the seventh day dawns, Samuel is still not there. His men are beginning to get scared. They're hiding, they're deserting. And King Saul said, look, we need to, we need to muster our forces and fight because we're not going to have an army left if we don't go into battle pretty soon. I can't wait any longer for Samuel. Bring me a sacrifice, I'll offer it. And some of Saul's advisors said, now you realize that you're a king and you're Benjamite, and you're not supposed to be making the offering. That's something that the priests are supposed to do. Like Samuel, wait for him. No, 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 we're losing the people. Yeah, God wants to do the expedient thing. Let's do it right now. And so he offered sacrifice. And you know what it says after that? Then Samuel came. And that's so tragic when you think about it because he told Saul... I could have established your kingdom at this. It says, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, this is in uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse uh, 10. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greeted him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, I saw that the people were scattering from me. He had a lot of rationalizations. And that you didn't come within the days appointed. And the Philistines were gathering together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will come down and fight. And I've not yet made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I forced myself and offered a burnt offering. 
And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God that he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. The way he made the monarchy of David, he would have made the monarchy of Saul if Saul had just hung on a little longer. But when Samuel was delayed, he lost faith. The delay is a prophesied time of testing that God has built into the chronology of the last days. There is a time of testing, and we're in it right now. I believe that. And this is the time for us to hang on to our faith. But then he said in verse 14, but your kingdom will not continue because he got discouraged during the delay. You've got a lot of examples of this in the Bible. God is telling us that we need to learn to trust him and to hang on. You can read in Romans 13, verse 11 and 12, and knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, like those ten virgins that were asleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us, therefore, how do we prepare during this time of delay? Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. God is wanting his people to experience a revival. Do you believe that? I want one, don't you? I want to be everything that Christ called his people to be. We have to be before he comes back. But the Lord told us that there would be doubts in the last days. He prophesied that this was going to happen. You can read in 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4, Know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Now, who are the scoffers Peter's talking about? Scoffers in the world? Ah, there have always been scoffers in the world, he said scoffingly. <laughs> He's talking about scoffers in the church. Would an Adventist scoff the Advent? When people get excited about the soonness or the nearness of Christ's coming. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't plan for a long time. I think we should. I think we ought to occupy till he comes. I think we ought to plan ahead. But I think that we ought to live every day like it could be our last and plan for a thousand years all at the same time. We ought to live holy lives as though it could be our last day. But in our business and in our planning, we had a plan like God wants the work to go around the world and plan for the future. He said, scoffers will come in the last days walking after their own lusts. And what do they say? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, if you read in Revelation chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, it says, there was an angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land, and he raised up his hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. There should be... Now, if you read this in the New King James Version, I think it's a little more accurate. It doesn't just say there should be time no longer. It says there should be delay no longer. Why would Revelation tell us that there should be no more delay unless there was supposed to be some apparent delay? I mean, just think about it for a second. God seems to work on a pattern of six days you work, one day you rest, right? And the approximate time of 
creation was about 4004. That's Bishop Usher's chronology, whether it's off or a few years, I don't know, but it's approximate. You can add up the ages in the Bible and get close. And then you got 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. You got the age of the patriarchs Adam, Enoch, Methuselah, Noah, godly men. The message went through them. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness and he preached the second coming. And then you got Abraham is born about 2004 BC. Then for the next 2,000 years, you got the age of the Jews. From Abraham, you go 2,000 years and about 4 BC, Jesus is born. Now, have you got spiritual Israel or the church? I know it confuses people that Christ would be born four years before Christ. But when they established this ADBC dating method, they stabbed the best they could at the calendar and they were off a little bit, we know now. And by the way, Jesus began his ministry when he was 30. It was 27 AD when he was baptized, so that ought to also tell you that. But that means if you go from then, 1996 would have been 2,000 years from the birth of Christ, approximately, right? You realize, I'm not setting a date. Does everyone know Pastor Doug's not setting a date? What I'm trying to emphasize is, if you were going to set a date, it's gone. If you were going to go 2,000 years from his birth, there's this pattern. And then how long do we spend during the millennium in heaven, living and reigning with Christ? 1,000 years. Six days you work, one day you rest. A day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years. 1,000 years in his sight are like a day when it is gone. And there's this pattern in the Bible. Athaliah reigned over the land six years. Wicked queen. Josiah was hidden in the temple of the Lord. The son of David, Joash actually, hidden in the temple of the Lord. At the end of her six years of reign, he comes out. Trumpets are blown. Actually, it says the Sabbath begins too. She's killed. He's coronated. People are shouting and rejoicing. It's like the second coming. It says it happens after six years. How many times did they march around the city of Jericho? Thirteen times. One time for six days. And then seven times on the seventh day. Right? And then on the seventh day, early in the morning, blowing the trumpets, Jericho fell. They took possession of the promised land. There's so many scenarios in the Bible that are like this. Moses stayed at the base of Mount Sinai for six days, and on the seventh day, he calls Moses up into the clouds. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, There are some of you standing here who will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Ellen White says, This whole experience on the Mount of Transfiguration is a microcosm of the second coming. Jesus makes that statement, and then it says, After six days, he took them up. Why did he wait six days? I think there's a pattern. I think after 6,000 years, Jesus is coming. Uh, Forty times in the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White says, 6,000 years. So I think there's a pattern here. That means he, he should have been here. What's wrong? He's delayed. Or is he? Maybe it's just an apparent delay. Maybe it's a time of testing right now where God is finding out those who are going to hang on. Someone said the difference between a hero and a coward is usually five minutes. A hero lasts five minutes longer. They hang on. They hold out five minutes longer. Are we willing to hang on and hold out for the Lord? Without him, we can't do anything, but with him, we can do everything. Amen?
Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Wait, friends, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. What do you mean? Though it tarries, wait for it because it will not tarry. In other words, it appears to tarry. God has given a special message of salvation to these people in the last days. I believe he's given a special message for the world to the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And at a time when the world is ripe for this message, when we should just be filled with the power of God and his spirit and going everywhere with our faces illuminated, telling the world that Jesus is coming soon, we're beginning to second-guess our message. And I am so sad about that. Because I know what it was like out there in the world not having this message, and I know it's the truth. Because I studied with many different churches before I understood this message, and it is so biblical. I have no allegiance to the Seventh-day Adventist church as far as my family or anyone brought up in the church. I just have nowhere else to go. If I want to be a Bible Christian, I have nowhere else to go. Because it's the Bible truth. Don't ever be ashamed of this message. Now, there's some people in the church you might want to pray about, but don't be ashamed of the message. Amen? It's the truth. And the Lord is still with his people. He hasn't left us. He's right here with us. He's not very far away. And he hasn't left you. He's got a plan for you. He wants you to be ready when he comes. Somebody just sent me an interesting bit of history last week. I thought it would be worth sharing with you. I understand that there was a tradition among the Cherokee that when a boy was going to go through a rite of passage from boy to man, that they'd... Uh, father would take the boy out in the woods and he had to sit for a night in the woods by himself blindfolded without removing the blindfold and moving off the log or stump where he was sitting. And it could be pretty frightening for a 10 or 11 year old boy to go out there in the woods and father would take him out there in the woods, they blindfold him and he was not allowed to remove the blindfold until the sun shone upon his face in the morning. And when the sun came up he would be a man and then he could never tell any of the other young people what he had been through that night. So the father takes the boy out into the woods. He sets him down on this giant stump. And the sun goes down. He's got a hood over his face. It begins to get a little chilly, but he's got to stoically sit there through the night. And it goes on and on. And it seems like the sun is never going to come up. I remember the first time I ran away from home. I thought, I'm going to live out in the mountains. I'd been watching too much TV and had no idea what to expect. I went out in the woods. I bought a tent, pitched the tent out in the woods all night long I was hearing all these creepy noises so he hears the hooting of the owls in the trees he hears the call of the coyote and the wolf out in the distance and it sends shivers up his spine his eyes are closed he feels like the log is moving and there could be a bear inside of it and he, all these things are in and you know then it just gets accentuated by your fear so you start getting terrified but if he's going to be a man he's got to control himself and sit there Seems like it's endless. Finally exhausted and terrified, he makes it through this horrific night and he feels like it's growing light, but he waits and eventually sun crests the hills and a beam hits him in the face and he rips off his blindfold. And lo and behold, there's his father sitting there with him. Been on the log all night watching over his son. 
making sure nothing bad happened to him. But the boy went through a time of testing to teach him to be a man and to hang on. The Lord knows what he's about, friends, and we might be going through that time right now, but he's testing us. You might be going through a time right now. He hasn't left you. He's right there. He's watching. You might not see the sun when the clouds are in the way, but the sun didn't go anywhere. It's still there. Amen? And Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? He is coming again. I want to be ready, don't you? We're going to invite our sister Daisy to come out and sing. And then I'd like to have a closing prayer with you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.